0: Welcome to Get Down to College Business. We will identify strategies that could make the difference between keeping university doors open and closing them for good. I'm pulling in business experts and higher ed leaders to debate the merits of strategies that could save the future of higher ed. I'm your host, Sarah Holton, PhD. Let's get down to college business. Hi, everyone. This is Sarah Holton and your host. I'm joined today by Scott Lindball, who is the COO of HGA, an architectural engineering firm based in Milwaukee. Scott oversees daily operations of the firm's design and business strategies across 12 offices. He has more than 30 years of architectural experience, including campus master plans, replacement hospitals, and medical office buildings and community hospitals. HGA has designed and built some of the most beautiful higher education spaces I've ever seen. HGA has an A star client list, including MIT, Harvard, Boston University, Yale, Duke, Marquette, and many Big Ten institutions. Welcome, Scott.
1: Thanks, Sarah. I'm delighted to be here.
0: So, higher ed has pressure to keep up with the Joneses. Students, they don't want to live in these outdated dorms, they don't want to study in dank basements, they want modern research labs they want rock climbing walls, they want all sorts of amenities. Yet it seems kind of a counterintuitive to spend all this money to build some expensive physical spaces when our world is moving online more and more. But we know that prospective in-person students and even our faculty will still select colleges partially based on the physical features and amenities of a campus. And so that puts pressure on colleges to provide these sexy new spaces. So Scott, you are a trained architect Tell me when a college needs an architect. Well, I
1: I think a college needs an architect whenever you have a change in needs. I've heard on your podcast previously, there's a lot of concern about reduction in enrollment. And so we may have more space than we needed a few years ago. At the same time, you may have programs that are actually expanding or some of your listeners may be going into new geographies. So I think whenever you have a change in need, you probably want to talk to an architect. We can help you understand and really link your strategic goals with the spatial implications related to them.
0: Let's talk building projects. You know, what's hot right now? Sometimes it's athletic facilities, sometimes specific academic program supporting buildings. Sometimes it's extracurricular amenities. What are you seeing that's hot right now?
1: Well, as you mentioned earlier, I think there is a lot of interest in how can, if there's a shrinking enrollment base, how can I get more of that as an education provider? So we're seeing a lot of those amenities. Like you mentioned, athletic centers, students, they want all the things they couldn't get when they were living in home with their parents. So we've talked about rock climbing walls. We have done some work in the Midwest around athletic performance centers. And a lot of that, what we're seeing are uh, institutions are pulling those things together. So we did a project where we brought together a college of nursing with a health center on campus. So some of those dual purposes really help justify the project and I think spread the costs a little bit more.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is that when universities looking to even think about the the design or the concept of the building itself, they should look for dual partnerships within the university. And so it's not just the English building or not just the gym. It's multi-purpose. A number of things. So I think, first of all, hopefully everybody has a
1: strategic plan and they know what students they're going after. They know what programs they're going to enhance or expand or reinforce. And then I think they can bring design firm in that would hopefully help them achieve that and help set the planning and strategy so that they can actually realize those goals.
0: Okay, so tell me about that planning phase. So I'm thinking that we might have some listeners who are about to enter into, we want this big new shiny building. Can you outline for us in brief the general steps that leaders should take to start their planning before they even begin to pull in vendors and the bidders and the architects?
1: So we will do our best work for our clients when we understand what the problem we're trying to solve is. So I think most leaders now are being asked what's the return on investment if you want a shiny building? What's the payback on that? And again, I think you want to tie that to your strategic plan and then so basically a building project, it's a manifestation of the needs to achieve that strategic plan. A building essentially is a tool to accomplish that. So I think if you could start with a clear strategic plan, understanding how this particular building or project may weigh into that plan, and then convey that to your team. And again, I think the advantage that we bring is that we do a lot of these kinds of things all over the country. So we have expertise that we can share with our clients. They may have a great idea. It may be new. Maybe it's never been done, but I think to your point, Sarah, we are seeing more and more – I think you get a greater economy of scale if you could pull multiple – services and or programs together in a building. I mean, I think when it goes back to that ROI, people are saying, how often are we going to use these classrooms? Are we going to use this lab space? Whatever it might be, I think if you've got multiple programs that have some relation, I think it really is effective in helping fully utilize that space that you're building.
0: So let's talk about the composition of the facilities team. So some of our bigger schools, they're going to have... People with the titles, with facilities management and that kind of space planning within their title, they're probably credentialed in this area. But you have plenty of schools that aren't going to have people who are at all really very experienced in building projects. So what's your best advice for colleges that don't have people with these titles or in these specific roles? Who should be serving on these facility teams that works with the architects and builders?
1: I think whether it's higher ed or any other client type, I think you always kind of need an executive sponsor of some sort, somebody who's the champion, and frankly, making sure that the project is still working into that greater strategic plan. But I also think you certainly want your facilities people involved because they're going to live with whatever gets built. And sometimes we make decisions to make the first cost a little less expensive, but it costs more to maintain that building for the life of the building. So you definitely want their influence early on. And then once we get, particularly when we get into the details and understanding what the program is, we want to talk to the program directors and then really the end users. And the end users, I think, should include not just the faculty, but it should also include the students who are going to be using the space and some of the space we create is also an amenity for community members. So we want to bring them in if that's going to be the case.
0: Okay, so faculty, staff, students, executive sponsor, the end users, environmental Services yeah, people. I mean, every,
1: they're going yeah, to. Yeah, maintenance. How hard is it if I can't get into a certain area to take the trash out every day? That means, am I paying overtime for those folks? And is that a long term thing that we want to be doing?
0: I think that's a good point, right? Who's actually using this space down to every level, not just maybe the faculty that's involved in the research lab, but really everybody. Okay, what about community groups? So if a space is being designed that has some sort of, say, revenue generation or community function, do community users need to sort of have input into the design?
1: I think you certainly want that. And it, it, you, you never exactly know who that might be. But I think if you have a target audience, if you will, or a target user from outside campus that may come in, that can influence your security, availability, at times of day, parking, that sort of thing. So if you have an idea, I think it's great to include those people in the discussions, recognizing 10 years down the road, they may or may not be a group that's still utilizing that building.
0: Okay, let's come back to that idea in a little bit about multi-generational use. But I want to pause just on the composition of facilities teams. Is there anyone from your perspective that doesn't need to be a part of this facilities group. Sometimes it might make sense to higher ed folks, right? Like this type of person should be involved, but maybe from your end, they're not really that needed. And so let's not waste their time.
1: I'll be honest. I've never been on a project where somebody, I mean, some people aren't great contributors individually, but I've never been on a project where I said, oh, that type of person isn't contributing to the end outcome. So I've not run across anything like that, honestly.
0: Okay, so as long as they're good, individual contributors, they'll be fine on this team.
1: There are those rules, right? If you go to a meeting and don't say anything, people might question why you're in the meeting. But I think beyond that, I don't think it's a skill set, a level of training or anything like that. I think everybody can contribute, particularly if they're going to end up using the space.
0: Okay. And so now let's come back to that idea of multi-generational use. In your mind, what makes sense for a college to think about? So right now we want a building for X, Y, Z purpose. Should we be thinking about 10 years down the road? Is it not possible to think that far ahead?
1: That's a tricky question. I think you have to think about what's down the road. And we always say flexibility and adaptability are key components to any new building we would design. And that's really all about how can we use the space later? And I think what we're seeing now are trends in technology. You know, that has changed tremendously in the last 10 years and certainly in the last 20. I don't even want to talk about how much has changed since I was in college, (laughs) but you know, it's ever evolving. And so we want to create spaces that allow those things. I think pedagogy's changed. I think the lecture style, the big auditoriums. I don't think we're doing many of those anymore. And I think. Education seems to be going much more hands-on, and therefore we're creating spaces. Sometimes we still have large classrooms, but usually they break down into smaller groups and much more tactile education elements. We see the same thing. I think we're seeing similar things in labs, and how do we spur conversation between folks from different labs doing different things i think it's that interrelationship between different areas of study that we are trying to reinforce where are those happy collisions and how can we set up buildings frankly whether it's the water cooler or the break area or whatever it is how can we help create those divine intersections that ordinarily wouldn't happen
0: okay so we talked about the beginning phases the team composition let's move to the middle phases where things are are under construction. So the buildings being put up or a significant remodel is happening. Tell me about the middle phases of the project and where do groups get tripped up?
1: Well, I would say even before construction. So it's one thing to set the strategy. What's the program? What do I have to fit in these spaces, whether it's new or existing? And then we start getting into a little more detail. So that's where we really want to sit down with the end users. I think representatives of the faculty, students, and EVS, all those people that we talked about before, and actually really get their input. Where do the outlets go? Does it make sense to put the switch here or there? Do I need a sink over here? And then when you start getting into more complicated spaces like wet labs, there's all sorts of requirements, safety requirements, and that sort of thing. So... It really becomes pretty involved and there are endless decisions to make. But again, if you have a good design partner, they've done this before, they understand the questions, they'll prompt you so you don't have to think of everything. They'll help lead you through that process. And then where people get tripped up is if they've forgotten something. Oh yeah, we need to do this. And the way we work on the design side is that we're trying to collect as much information from you as we can and then provide a solution that meets all your needs. And If you come back to us halfway through the design process and say, oh, I forgot to tell you, we're doing X, Y, and Z as well, that slows us down, that causes us to do more work, increases costs, that sort of thing. Now, at the same time, much cheaper to change it on quote, paper, end quote, or in the computer these days than it is to try to do it in the field six months later when they are actually in construction.
0: So what I think I'm hearing you say is if a school knows exactly what their needs are, how it ties to their strategic plan, how to make sure that it has dual purposes, they're a little bit better off in the middle phases because maybe they aren't making so many changes and kind of holding back that timeline.
1: Yeah. And I know that I've said this too many times already, but if we understand, if we're your, not your, just your pencil drawing what you told us to draw, but if we're your strategic partner helping you execute that strategy, we have a better understanding. And then if we hear something contrary to that, we'll ask the question and say, wait a minute, we thought you were trying to achieve this, but what we were just told to do was something a little bit different. Which direction do you really want us to go? And things change. Things evolve. You get new leaders. This happens a lot as well. We get new leaders at some point for different programs. They have a different vision, which is okay. We just need to sort of take a moment and say, okay, here's where we were headed. Is that still going to work in the future? future for you.
0: Have you ever had the experience where a client really maybe didn't exactly know what they wanted? There was maybe the general, okay, you're laughing. So I'm going to guess, yes. But like the general concept was there. But then when it came down to the very pragmatic, detailed level, it was sort of, whoa, I don't even know.
1: So maybe a cautionary tale is I did one time have a project where they were bringing two programs together and one of the leaders of the programs thought it was great and the other one kind of went along with it because they wanted new space, new building. But at the end of the day, they decided it really wasn't the right fit for their program. And so the project kind of imploded and we were paid to a certain point and they never got the benefit of the work that we did for them, which is, I mean, at the end of the day, we provide space for people to do what they need to do their work or live their lives in. And so it's kind of depressing for us when it just doesn't go anywhere.
0: I would imagine, yeah. And right, you don't get to see the final payoff, right? And you don't get to celebrate with them their new space. Well,
1: and we love to tell stories, right? I mean, I get work because I could take prospective clients to see some of the spaces that we've already done. And oftentimes they ask to speak to our former clients without us there. And so I would hope that most of our clients could relay really good experiences and I think they end up being happy with the spaces that we provided for them.
0: All right, let's talk money. So, some of the projects that, you know, are out there eight, nine, even 10 figure range. That's a huge financial commitment for co- most colleges, right? And so, considering building prices, inflation, all that's on the rise, interest rates, Tell me about realistic numbers for new buildings or, or even significant remodels. So, yeah, they've all gone up.
1: I think there's some generalities. I'm sure your listeners have been paying attention to the news at some level, and you'll hear about a wild increase in the cost of wood a couple of years ago. And then sometimes it's glass or it's copper or it could be steel. All those, I'll say, primary building materials have gone up and down. Mostly they're a little more normalized right now, but the cost of labor has only continued Need to go up. So, and I don't see that going down. There's been a shortage of people in construction trades for, I would say, 10 years now. And I know. Uh, our contracting partners are working really hard to fill their ranks, but it's harder and harder to do. And I don't think the pandemic helped them much. So, labor costs have gone up. I don't think they're going to go down. So, I pulled together some current ranges. And the, I think the other important thing to note is it really depends on the kind of building you're building. So, there's a range of different costs for lots of different buildings. So, I've sort of brought you some ranges. Current ranges, they're only as good as until this thing is aired. After that, who knows what will happen. But just to give your listeners a sense of what we're seeing, and I will say these are all, this is all new construction. I would say if you were renovating an existing building, it's going to be less. So it depends on the existing building and what kind of shape that's in there.
0: Thank you for all those qualifiers, Scott. Give us some numbers. All right.
1: I'm going to give you some numbers. So I worked with our team to pull some numbers together, and I'm just going to go through the list. So we're seeing academic libraries coming in between 385 and $460 a square foot we're seeing performing arts buildings coming in between 7 and 900 dollars a square foot. Again, depends on what exactly it is, how big it is, that sort of thing. We're seeing on-campus museums coming in between 725 and 950 dollars a square foot. Again, there's a lot of mechanical and electrical requirements for that sort of building. A visual arts building could be between 530 and 630 dollars a square foot. Straight up education classrooms a little less expensive between 450 and 650 dollars a square foot. Science and research again, there's a big variety of what that could be, but those are between 650 eight hundred dollars a square foot. Music buildings can be between 575 and 700 dollars a square foot, and then simulation centers. They tend to be a little larger spaces, a little more wide open, so they're a little less expensive between 375 and 400 dollars. I'm sorry, 490 dollars a square foot. Student centers, again, they tend to be a little bigger, maybe not quite as complicated on the engineering side. So between 415 and $550 a square foot. And then I know parking is always an issue. So parking ramps, this is not surface parking, but a vertical ramp can be probably starting around $2,500 a stall.
0: Okay, so I'm beginning to get the sense that we can't do anything for eight figures anymore. You could do
1: some renovations. We could
0: do, We could renovate for eight figures. Otherwise, we're nine or even... Yeah,
1: you know, I, I think any uh, zeros. yeah, I think your eight figures is going to be more your maintenance and upkeep, some fresh paint and some carpet.
0: <laughs> For eight figures, we get paint and carpet. That's what we get. It depends on how big the space is. <laughs> okay, so that's really significant. And I mean, is there any way around this? So I guess let me ask it the question this way. Should schools be looking at renovations versus new buildings then? Should they just take one of their older 19-whatever building and say, hey, we're just going to put the – painting carpet on
1: again i think it, how does it fit in your strategic plan is that is your existing building in the right place is it meeting your needs in general and is there flexibility can you upgrade it to fit the technology and can you resize the classrooms or the lab space or whatever it is for what you're going to need it to do if you can then yeah i think we can add insulation we can make the roof better we can make it a more sustainable less expensive building to operate it takes a little more investment to do that but I I think most of our clients are pretty interested in being as sustainable as they can and a lot of times reusing existing space is more sustainable, although with new building technology, new techniques, sometimes we can make a new building a lot more energy efficient than we can an old one.
0: Yeah, so maybe the long term, the life cycle of the building, the maintenance costs might actually be lowered. Okay, tell me about the top expenses in a building. What are you seeing that costs the most money?
1: It's interesting, Sarah. I think people don't realize that even though, I mean, okay, I just gave you some pretty expensive cost per square foot, so it's an investment undoubtedly, but a lot of our buildings, most of the cost. If you look at the life cycle cost of the building, the cost of construction is really only about 10% of what it costs to operate that building throughout its life. And it depends on how long you keep it operational. Honestly, we we generally tend to design buildings the last 50 years, although I think most of them last well over 100 years if we take care of them. So it depends on the length and duration and what we're doing in the building. Obviously, I think a lab environment could be a lot more intensive than straight up classrooms. But generally, that's where we see the cost. And I guess maybe I should also say, talking a little bit about how the design team fits into that overall cost, typically, we are a percentage of construction. So... I think people worry about that a little bit, like uh, how much is it going to cost me to have somebody design this and how much to bring somebody in to help advise me early on. I think now, granted, I'm biased, but I think that is a pretty small investment compared to the benefit that you can get out of pulling the right team members together early on in the process and helping you achieve the goals that you need to make and frankly, help you spend the right amount of money for what you need to accomplish. You don't want to underfund it, but at the same time, you don't want to overspend on things that you may not need in the future either.
0: Yeah, of course, you guys have the wisdom to think big and you've been there, done that. So you would definitely know. What about top expenses in maintenance? Tell me about energy or any other maintenance costs that you guys know. Well, I think
1: generally speaking, it is. It's depending on how your campus is set up. So if you have a steam plant, that's a fairly minimal first cost to put a new building onto your existing steam plant. However, a lot of what we're doing in higher ed right now is much more sustainable. We're doing geothermal heat pumps which is actually a much less expensive way to heat and cool a building. We're seeing a lot more solar. The federal government is actually helping a lot of our clients invest in more sustainable energy. So the first costs are coming down a little bit, but it's always going to be really dependent on what you know, your specific situation, how your campus is already set up, how big your campus is, you know, what the geography in and around your campus, that sort of thing. Those are probably your, I mean, every month you're paying those energy bills, whether it's heating or cooling. And particularly for those of us in the northern Midwest, it's real, it's there. <laughs> it's not a very moderate climate. So,
0: sometimes in one day, I can have both the air conditioning and the heat on. <laughs>
1: yeah, those are fun days. Yeah.
0: So what wastes money during the building process?
1: Again, it's rework. I think whether it's rework for, for us on the design team, or it's even worse if it's for the contractor. If we have to make a change while they're trying to meet their schedule, they have multiple trades on site at any given moment. And so if all or one or more of those trades has to take a pause because we're making a change somewhere, that's pretty expensive to have everybody take a break, whether it's for half a day or longer. So the more we can plan out what's going to happen, make sure that we're meeting our needs and not make those changes late in the process, I think that's that helps contain costs. And I'm always trying to eliminate surprises for my clients. So asking those questions up front and understanding what the client is trying to achieve really helps us minimize those changes later.
0: So really the college team should be thinking about what do we really need and then kind of stick to it as much as possible. I'm assuming that when you say rework, you're referring to, okay, me as a college, I'm going to make some different decisions than I made two months ago. And now we got to pause, figure out the kinks in the floor plan and how it affects all the different trades. That's reworked to you. Tell me about escalation costs.
1: So escalation costs is really the things that we talked about a little bit ago. So when the cost of materials goes up, when the cost of labor goes up, but contractors when they price things out they're going to look at how long does it take to build this and so if it takes 18 months they're going to pick a point 9 months in the future and they're going to project how much they think inflation and escalation are gonna go up and they kind of use that as their bid point. So they try to accommodate that. So again, there aren't surprises. Now with what we've seen post-pandemics, we've all heard supply chain issues, those were real and we're still seeing some of them in some places. It became really, really hard for our contracting partners to predict what was gonna happen. I mean, who would have anticipated that we would have had 7.5% inflation last year. So they can't address everything, that caused a lot of turmoil in, in our world because suddenly all of our projects were in different places and in different geographies. We're seeing some impact. It's greater than others. And in some places, it was the cost of wood and steel. and others, it was something completely different. But again, it was really what went up and stayed up was the cost of labor.
0: Okay. Scott, if a school has a tight budget, does it make sense to renovate rather than start new? I know we talked a little bit about that, but Tell me like advantages and disadvantages and a little more depth.
1: Well, it is generally less expensive to renovate rather than build new. So there's a certain cost of building the walls and the floors and the structure and the roof and then supplying energy, electricity and heating and cooling to a new building that hopefully for the most part is already existing in an existing building So generally, yeah, that can be less expensive as long as it's still going to work for you. The other thing I would say is sometimes we're downsizing. Sometimes we don't need as much space. So if you could repurpose some of that space in an existing building for something else, that's fantastic. That's a great solution. But if it's not going to work, sometimes you're going to spend more money in maintaining that existing space than you are in possibly moving a different direction, maybe repurposing that existing space for something else, and then moving your program into a new building. So generally, yes, less expensive to renovate, but I think it you, it's still, my opinion, has to fit into your strategic plan. If it's not fitting into your strategic plan, then you might be forcing a square peg into a round
0: hole. Are you able to predict which building expenses might be rising in the near future?
1: No, you'd have to pay me to come here <laughs> if I knew that.
0: All right, so imagine you are a college CEO or CFO what recommendations would you give to that person? I'm kind of assuming they're, they become a de facto executive sponsor for these projects. What advice do you have for them to prep for that building phase?
1: I think you'll have the most success if you pick good team members. You know, And again, there are a lot of different design firms. There are a lot of different building firms, but most of us have worked together in some capacity. So I think a good relationship there is always a positive. And then I think many of your listeners will have had some experience or their facilities team or whomever will have worked with different people in the industry. So I think you want a team that you know works well together and preferably think will work well with your team. And then, again, things we've talked about, making sure that team understands what your strategic goals are. If only one thing happens, this is what has to happen. Um, And I will also say sometimes that changes and that's okay. But having that conversation with your design team so that they're all aware of that, they'll react and respond and give you the best solution.
0: All right, Scott, as we're kind of wrapping this up, what's your best advice for college leaders to operate a financially viable institution? It could be related to building projects, but it could be related to other higher ed trends. I know you're a father of an incoming college freshman, and she's going to be an architect major, just as you were. So you kind of have a unique perspective on this as well, right? You just went through the whole college application process. And you've kind of got a new stakeholder perspective. So, how do you see colleges operating the best in the future?
1: I think like many things, Sarah, I believe that as a parent who's going to be paying for college, I am looking for the highest value I can get for my daughter's education and yeah, I see some parallels in the higher education system that we had talked about in healthcare 15, 20 years ago where what are we spending on bricks and mortar and how does that relate to the value that we're seeing? So back then it was healthcare, now it is, I think, higher ed. Well, we talked a little bit earlier about can we leverage space for more than one program? And I do think they have to have some correlation. I think they need to have some crossover or it doesn't make sense. But you can also then get more out of such space. I mentioned earlier that we combined a health center with the College of Nursing. If you can double up exam rooms and training exam rooms, I mean, both of them get a benefit out of that they wouldn't have ordinarily gotten, let alone the fact you have actual working RNs in the same building as people that are studying to be RNs, I mean, that's pretty valuable. It's hard to quantify that kind of experience. So I think those are the kinds of things we're talking about. This won't be super popular, but a few years ago, we started moving away from individual offices for physicians. I wonder if those discussions aren't going to start happening more with tenured college professors. I don't think I would love that if I were either a doctor or a professor, but I do think it's a reality that probably is going to get discussed in the future.
0: Yeah, I think you're banging on with that, the idea of that like shared space, not just for for student use, but also for faculty use. So, all right. So, Scott, if people want to continue this conversation with you, where can they find you?
1: So, I'm on LinkedIn. They can certainly reach out to me at Scott Lindvall on LinkedIn. Also, my company's website is hga.com. If you make it there, then I think most of your listeners would be interested in our higher ed category. And under that, we have more. Specificity. So we have an academic STEM and research area. We have a healthcare education, learning spaces, libraries, performing arts, sports and rec, student life, and visual arts. We also have one of the unique things we do is we have a pretty robust research arm. So we have some interesting things on our website that I would encourage your listeners to check out.
0: All right, Scott. Thank you so much. To support the cause of the affordable college experience, visit us at highlevelleadership.com. Read our blog and join our email list to get connected. Follow us and leave a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Let's get down to college business.